When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today we are going to talk about South Africa. We're going to go through a timeline because I got a whole bunch of questions about South Africa last night. Um, and I'm going to answer most of them in the process of this, but one in particular because I really liked the way it was phrased. Uh, there's a little introduction that I'm not going to read, and then it says... Um, I've been trying to figure out what actually ended it. I've been looking at timelines and reading history books, and it really seems like they're trying to say that in 1992 there was a referendum of all white people and they just voted to end apartheid. To quote you, that seems super unlikely. So my question is, what actually ended apartheid? Got it. Smart. Fill your thoughts with battles fought, lessons taught. Makes sense. Okay, so we're going to go through a timeline because that is how history is taught in the United States. It's either framed as in the 90s, white people just had a change of heart and voted and kumbaya. Or it's taught Nelson Mandela did it. That's the framing. I don't like either one of those frames. Um, Mandela was an incredibly important figure in, in, in ending apartheid. However, teaching it as if it was all linked to him is great man theory. And any time you're talking about a major shift in society and linking it to one person, well, it's pretty much always wrong. Mandela happens to be a great example um, in, in proving that it's always wrong. What's he best known for? Well, I mean, what's the one thing everybody knows about him? He spent a whole lot of time in a cell. It's really hard to change an entire country from inside a cell. There were probably other people involved. Um, linking it all to Mandela is its very short-sighted. It's very superficial. That's not to say he wasn't important. As I go through this timeline, understand he's getting arrested like constantly. Um, I think think he got charged with treason like twice. Um, He definitely did more than his fair share. But linking everything to him, it just doesn't. It's it's not accurate. Okay. So, 1948, the National Party formally begins apartheid. I say formally because there were segregationist policies before then. But it's about to become really systematic. 1949, a year later, mixed marriages are banned. 1950 is the Population Registration Act. Papers, please. Everybody's getting categorized by skin tone. You're either white, black, or colored. Colored did uh, not mean the same thing it meant in the U.S. It meant like uh, Indians. Residential segregation begins, and the Communist Party is banned. This is more important than you would think 
when you're looking at the scope of apartheid. Doesn't seem like it's related, but it really is. It's important. So just remember that part. From the very beginning, that was something that was done. South Africa was anti-communist. Okay, 1953, the Bantu Education Act. Education becomes segregated. Black people are taught to be good workers because under this system, that's all they're ever going to be allowed to be. 1959, homelands were created for major black populations. It was presented as, you know, a way to give them some kind of autonomy. They were going to be separate. If you're in the U.S., just think separate but equal. I don't know that those terms were used, but same general rationalization. I think they were called Bantu stands. Um, now, as I'm going through this timeline, there are protests happening constantly, like normal, normal protests like we have today. Uh, 1960, Sharpville at one of these protests. Well, everybody's supposed to carry papers, right? Some didn't. It started a riot. There was a security clampdown. About 70, I want to say 69 is the exact number, but don't quote me. People were killed. The ANC gets banned. This is when international pressure really starts to kick up. Um, but not too much. Because South Africa is strategically important. They're valuable. They're anti-communist. And South Africa gets seen as a staging area to fight the communists during the Cold War in Africa. So because they are strategically valuable, they get a lot of leeway. 1961, South Africa leaves the Commonwealth. Um, embargoes start. Uh, they're excluded from the Olympics. Now, in 1970, the Bantu Homeland Citizenship Act. Those homelands they made, well, now it's forced. Forcible removal. People, people are being sent there. Uh, 1974, they're kicked out of the UN. Again, there are protests going on this entire time. And there are, um, there are loosely coordinated economic efforts as well. And then 1976, there's a real big uptick in violence. It starts with 600 people getting killed in clashes over a very short period um, and then that there's a low level of violence that just kind of stays right underneath the surface. It prompts a security clampdown. And as you know, that security clampdown strengthens the resistance because innocent people get caught up in it. Now, in 1984, it is time to kick in the Township Rebellion. Black communities, well, they just decide they're going to be ungovernable. They're not going to listen. They're going to use the, the power that they have to try to address their concerns. They are just going to defeat the government by ignoring it. Um, it triggered a state of emergency. That uh, authority that government has, if people don't believe in it, well, it's really shaky. In 85, musicians get together. 
And they're like, we're not playing in South Africa. We're not doing anything with South Africa. You have a lot of celebrity power start to come out of the woodwork and condemn apartheid. Um, sports teams do the same thing. The uh, township rebellions, they go on a while. And then in 92, um, or in 89, sorry, de Klerk comes to power, new president. And the ANC, it's no longer banned. Desegregation starts to begin. Uh, Mandela's released. They meet. They start working things out. They come up with a plan. In 92, there's a referendum. And yes, it was all white voters. And they voted to end apartheid by a huge margin. It, it was a landslide. It was a landslide. I want to say two to one. Um, but... It was already kind of over, and everybody knew it. Everybody knew it was ending, and the government knew it, because the Cold War was also over. They were no longer as strategically important. They didn't have the same leeway. Apartheid didn't get the international pressure it should have because of the Cold War. The South African government was allowed to get away with a lot more than it normally would because it was strategically important. It was in a region that had a lot of conflict. So the world powers kind of looked to the other way. When that situation wasn't uh, occurring anymore, when they weren't as needed, the South African government understood that they didn't have that leeway. So it, it, it was beneficial to them to change. Now, you go through this timeline, you understand there were protests, there were, you know, little pockets that became ungovernable, there, there was widespread discontent. But there's no moment. You're looking for a moment that ended apartheid. There isn't one. Not really. Because it's not a moment, it's a movement. It's a bunch of little steps. And it's a diversity of tactics that brought this about. When you are looking for information on societal change in other countries and its history, not current events. Because if you're looking at current, if you look to this place for current events, you're going to get some pretty biased stuff. Um, but State Department, you can look to State Department in their archives. Because while their current stuff is written to further U.S. foreign policy, their archive stuff, their analysis of stuff that happened in the past, it has to be accurate because the people in State Department that are going to use it need accurate information. So, what does State Department say? Said it was a combination of things. Internal unrest, weakening white commitment, international and cultural sanctions, and the economic issues associated with those sanctions, and the end of the Cold War. It was a diversity of tactics that brought it about, but none of them would be effective until South Africa wasn't strategically important. Um, I mean, they could have been in theory, but it would have taken a lot more. It would have taken a lot more. So if there is a lesson, and that seems to be what you're looking for, it's that it's not one thing. It's almost never one thing. When you're talking about societal change, it is normally a perfect storm of people and events and geopolitical situations 
that bring about the ability for that shift to happen. That's what happened here. That's, uh, that, that's the deep lesson, is that if you want real change, it's going to take a diversity of tactics. You're going to have to think about it from the economic standpoint, not just right and wrong. You're going to have to think about it from the geopolitical standpoint. It's not always a moral issue because you're talking about power. And that's, that is very rarely motivated by morality. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day.